Two. Two. Chris, oh, the topic we will be discussing today is how do you handle big combat scenes in your tabletop RPG? Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rowe. And Andy, we are back this week with a normal episode. This feels weird, Chris. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. This is a little weird. Yeah, yeah. Um we're not, I guess, done with the summer of experiments necessarily, but um we thought we would take a break from them briefly <laughs> to go back to our normally scheduled um podcasting, I don't know, grooves, like our kind of we're back on our <laughs> <laughs> back on our old stuff but yeah so uh I, we did want to start by talking a little bit about what we did last the last couple episodes so we played the ground itself um so if you listen to those episodes um you can go back and listen to them but yeah if you if you haven't we played through this game called the ground itself it's this world building game we played with uh kyle latino and amber seeger um and it was really fun um i enjoyed it quite a bit but i wanted yeah, to give us a, a couple minutes to reflect on it now that it's been a couple weeks since we we actually played that andy what have you th- have you thought about the ground itself since we played it at all i have and i have kind of a a bigger question for you about mm-hmm. the ground oh. itself and it uh-huh. goes all the way back to one of our early experiments at the beginning of the summer sports or just numerology both of those games were uh, a type of game that was pretty new to me I'd been, you know, aware of their existence for a while, but I'd never really played one. And they are games that really issue the normal uh, kind of in- individual character-focused role-playing style that the vast majority of role-playing games use. So, so those games, I think we both agree, were really fun to play. But I'm curious, mm-hmm. for you personally, to what extent are those games fun in and of themselves? And to what extent do you want to hook them up to like a traditional, more traditional RPG experience and kind of use them to inject some additional context into a traditional game? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think there's a tendency for people who play play tabletop role-playing games to look at those as the start of something rather than a means like a, you know, just the game itself right right um right it's like you use it as a way to start set up your campaign and that is i will admit that's how i before playing those games that's how i was thinking about them is like oh it'd be really cool to play the ground itself so i can see like how it would work for running a campaign like that but then after playing it and after reflecting on it a little bit like i don't know if i want to do that necessarily I mean, I think I do. I think I still want to try it, but I'm I'm really appreciating them as experiences in and of themselves. Yeah. So thinking about us playing the ground itself, I really liked just how that game was, and I'd be perfectly happy to not um, go back and revisit that that um, that setting that we created again. Um, but I mean, we also could too. But yeah, to me, that felt like a more of a complete experience rather than like yeah the the start of a long campaign. So I had a very similar approach to them in that I thought of them mostly. And I still kind of do. It's just the way my brain is is wired at this point after so many decades of of D&D. And, and, you know, I tend to think of them as this would be a great way to kickstart a campaign or to flesh out a campaign setting or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I was really impressed, especially with the ground itself. I was really impressed by the the depth of the rules. Um, Like the Mm -hmm. game design was great and it was more subtle and interesting than I realized when we first started playing the game. And I would say it was not until like the the second half of the game that I realized like how cleverly it was structured to really mm-hmm. shape the story. Like when we started, and I don't mean to say, I don't mean to be down on it in any way, but when we started, I assumed it was kind of just like a gussied up, like 
brainstorming, like, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, a few, it, like a brainstorming exercises with a few rules and things like that to nudge you in the right direction. But it was quite a bit more than that. And I mean, it's a pretty respectable piece of game design in itself. So that kind of, that kind of shifted me out of that, like, oh, this is mostly useful as a way to like set up my traditional game. And it kind of made me appreciate it. Like, wow, this is like a great piece of game design in and of itself. That's fascinating. So if you were to play it again, would you approach it differently? Like that, that first half of it? I think so, but there was a, I will say there was kind of a joy in not really knowing where it was going and not having a real understanding of the rules beyond the immediate, like, okay, what do we do next? There was something funny. It kept me from like metagaming, you know, or trying yeah. to be overly clever because, uh, you know, I didn't know how it was structured, you know. So I would approach mm-hmm. it a little bit differently because I would be aware of kind of what it's trying to do a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But um, but I don't know. I think it's a game that plays really well, not thinking much beyond what is the next step that we have to do. What's the next die we have to roll, you know. Yeah, there is that, there's that, like, the, the short game and the long game in this, right? Like, so there's that, I think if you, if you had an idea of where you wanted to, it to end up, it would really cheapen the individual actions. Oh, 100%, doing. yes. Yeah, because if you were trying to guide it towards something, like, I mean, it's just, you could do that, it just wouldn't be very fun. It's a terrible way to tell that story. Um, and that's a criticism, I think, of a lot of these games they can be levied is if someone comes in thinking that, Oh wow, I really need it to be, I, I need it to do this exact thing. And I need it to kind of hit this, this end point. Yeah. Like you just, you start making decisions like aiming towards that rather than opening up and seeing what happens. Like, I mean, I think before we played that game, there was, there was nothing in that that I could have predicted right? <laughs> like that, yep. oh, totally. that we'd yep. end up with. Yeah. And that's that like, that's the magic of it too. Yeah, like Amber, Amber said something really fascinating, I think, at the, the end of the second episode. So she she just mentioned offhand, she's like, we just built a dungeon. Is like, that's how she sort of thought about it, too. And I, I wasn't thinking about it in those terms, but um, she was right on, right? Like, there's just all sorts of, like, fascinating little tidbits and stuff that we put into that. Um, that if you were running a game, you could go back and, yeah, and draw on those as well. But again, right, like, none of them were... Like you, you don't pre-plan those. Right? Yeah. It, it has to come out of the group that you're playing with. I, I want to play that again, and I want to play it with with different people too, and just sort of see what else shakes out of it. That leads to the one other thing I wanted to note about the experience of playing it, and that is just that uh, being creative is hard. Like it's yes. it's hard yeah. work, and this is not a criticism of the ground itself specifically, but it was stressful is not quite the right word. But that's a game that puts you on the spot a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, I felt put on the spot a lot in the same way that like when I'm playing Band of Blades or other games like that, that emphasize improv in the moment versus planning in advance. It's it's not a it, it's a situation, despite, you know, all the time I've spent running games, I have come to be pretty accustomed to kind of a role playing experience that asks for improvisation periodically, but that has big stretches in between where I'm not really having to come up with anything too creative, you know? <laughs> yes. And yeah. this ground itself feels like part of a kind of a trend in games over the last decade of pushing that kind of improv, relax, be creative, come up with ideas on the fly stuff to the fore of the game experience. And that is exhilarating 
And but I won't lie, it's also a little exhausting sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was at least one or two points in that game where I just had to say any ideas anybody because I was just out at that. You know. Yeah. Um. I mean, like. Uh... I have the luxury of like, you know, like, so I, I edited those episodes. So going back and like listening to it again, like I could, I could sense those points where we all hit that, that wall yeah too. Right. You know, so like, I mean, yeah, you record the thing, right. So like, and then you think about it and then you get to go listen back to it and like with a critical ear and stuff. Right. So like, I've, I've heard this, but there's a lot, but like, yeah, there were points where every single one of us was just like, I don't know what to do <laughs> yeah. in this situation. And the game, the game gives you, like a release valve i think like there are some other stuff that you can you can do and you can even just say like hey i skip i skip my turn yep. like that as well like it's, it's sort of the equivalent of like uh i swing my sword again like that's that's what yes. i'm doing this turn <laughs> turn as well as last turn uh yeah because i just I, yeah need need that break but you know i wonder if a game like that would if it would be served well with having some sort of like do this if you're not sure like, yeah. you know, like a very explicit, like if you are tired and you just need to not think this round, like, yeah, answer these three questions in this order. It'll be a little bit easier for you or like just say this thing or like roll this die or yeah. Cause I think like the, like just skip your turn. That feels a little like, like you're letting everybody down, but if you had some sort of fallback option, like the I'm creatively burned out at this moment option. I agree. And I, the game does have, you know, some mechanisms built in for that. But those in this game, those mechanisms still require you to be a little creative. So it wasn't quite the respite that, yes, uh, that you yeah. might have thought. So. Yeah, I know. There, there was a moment in there, um, and we won't recap like every every card in there, but I think Amber Amber decided to throw a party. And then all of a sudden it was like, there's these other rules that go along with a party. <laughs> yeah. you, know, so just, <laughs> you know, we were trying to use it as an out at that moment. And it's like, it turned out that, no, that wasn't an out. That was just a totally different exercise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I, I do wonder, too, that we kept a pretty good pace, um, again, because we recorded and stuff. I think if I were to play it again, I would intentionally slow it down. Um, so mm. rather than trying to hit two hours, I might just say, look, this game is going to take three hours, and we're going to take two breaks, and we're going to have a little bit more time to just, yeah, joke around or, you know, do other things yep. while we're playing it. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm hopeful I'll get a chance to play it in the next couple weeks or so. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, please report here on the mm -hmm. podcast if you oh, have yeah. a chance to do so there's not a chance i won't so <laughs> yeah. yeah i know there's no avoiding it uh, so uh, hey uh yeah. i had one other thing before we jump into our topic and oh yes please uh so this one requires this a, a tiny bit of backstory so i recently okay. i took a road trip with my kid to uh the gettysburg battlefield mm -hmm. and that was a fantastic experience and maybe some being a role-playing obsessed uh idiot i uh you know that's at least 10 percent of my brain at all times is like thinking about the implications of what yeah. can i bring from this experience into like an rpg <laughs> yes, but, uh, yeah something deeply uh, wrong with you yes <laughs> listeners i hope i'm not the only one who does this but whenever i go anywhere i always you know we get back to the motel and you're like all right let's what game stores are in the area you know like uh -huh. let's see so <laughs> in the town of gettysburg there's a little war game miniatures and war game shop they had a collection of used games. The used game I noticed was an old 1981 game from SPI, a very famous war game publisher. And it was based, it looked like a licensed game based on the uh, Dragon Slayer movie from 1981, which I don't, I've, I've not Dragon seen it. Dragon Slayer. Okay. It looks I'm like. Gonna, I'm I, Googling this right now. If you so Google if it, it looks like, you know, imagine 
you know, fantasy movie 1981 and then whatever popped into your head, that's what it looks like. So, uh, this looks rad. Y- yes, I yes. can only assume that it is based on the poster. Yeah. So if you're, if, if you haven't Googled this yet, like there's a guy with a cool lance and there's a dragon Yes. <laughs> in the dark ages, magic was a weapon. Love was a mystery. Adventure was everywhere <laughs> and dragons were real. So anyway, Are you about so, to tell me this was not a good movie. <laughs> well, I haven't seen it. So, okay. you know, I'll, you know, I have my hunch about the quality of the, the experience, but uh, at any rate, so I found this old game and so SBI clearly got the, you know, the license to this like movie that they hoped would be a license to print money and they mm-hmm. published a, a board game. So I'm looking at a, a photo of, of the, the board game, Chris, and I'll just have to describe Ooh. it. First of all, it, this was like in the 1980s. So there's like hundreds of words of copy on the cover of the game. Uh, because at that time, people believed, I guess, that you read marketing yeah. copy. Uh, yeah. And I think you and I have both worked in marketing in our adult jobs. And we know that if you can get it down to like three words or less, that's really ideal. Uh, mm-hmm. So on the board game are a series of little blurbs boasting about the contents of this game. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, you're publishing a dragon themed board game <laughs> in 1981. What yeah. are the blurbs like the... The little phrases you're going to boast about that your game has that are going to get that 1981 teenager to plunk down cash for your game. I mean, it's going to have to be like something like relive the magic of the movie. Okay. <laughs> or, I mean, the the movie post that I read, like, you know, dragons are real. Like, I think I would, you know, definitely have to have that splayed, like, yeah. you know, across the top. Like, like dragon dragons are real and you get to kill them. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's a big theme on the cover of this game. So some okay. of the practical things they boast about are, okay, uh, easy to learn rules of play. All right, that sounds mm-hmm. good, right? Yeah. Uh, 17 by 22 inch full color map of Erland. I like that. Oh, you know, I'd nice. buy a game with a color map of Erland. Yeah. Uh, 100 adventure tiles. Like, that sounds pretty Whoa. cool, right? Yeah. And so there's one more thing that it boasts about, and this is what it is. Six different dragon situations. <laughs> Dragons. Okay. So, yeah. so, Chris, your task and our task together is we're going to make a D6 table of dragon situations. Okay. okay. I'm going to fill out the first one already. The first one is our kind of generic, the dragon is menacing the village from its lair that's full of gold. Oh, okay. That's your classic dragon situation, right? Yeah. So, Chris, what are some other dragon situations you could find yourself embroiled in? <laughs> um can i just i just want to take a second and say this is amazing um but also i just like i want to ask you andy would you ever want to see a dragon like say say that dragons existed would you want to see a dragon or is that just like a you can revoke my D &D nerd card after this yeah Uh, i don't find dragons to be especially interesting as creatures okay uh i mean i have a kid who is obsessed with dragons for like you know five straight years of their life and didn't read anything that didn't feature dragons, didn't draw anything that was not a dragon. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't find dragons all that inspiring beyond, okay. like, you know, on the face of it, they're kind of cool. They're like dinosaurs with wings, which is cool. Right. But like, yeah, I don't know. So of course I would want to see one, mm-hmm. but I don't love dragons the way that maybe other D yeah. players and fantasy gamers. And yeah. You're not going to get a dragon tattoo is what you're saying. I, I do not have a dragon tattoo. I don't have a shirt that has 
like a full <laughs> print of a dragon on it or anything like that. I'm gonna have to get you one of those like a uh, pewter figurines of like a dragon <laughs> curled around a crystal ball with like a yes. wizard. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, Please do. Uh, okay. Uh, don't tempt me. Uh, all right. So my my dragon situation is uh, too many dragon eggs. Oh. Okay. All right. All right. My dragon situation is. One of the uh, members of the king's court is a dragon in disguise. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Is it, is it like extremely obvious? <laughs> like, is it, oh, yeah, is it a dragon like... that's like, that's wearing a little, like, I don't know, um, <laughs> like glasses yeah. and a fake it's mustache? It's like a 25 foot tall person. No, uh, I imagine in D&D and elsewhere dragons can polymorph so I imagine okay. that it's probably disguising himself as a person but you know that's part of the mystery uh yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know there's this one one guy who doesn't talk in the king's court and we're <laughs> yes. not sure why he doesn't talk and he breathes fire when he coughs or anything like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just um I'm trying to think of like other dragon situations I think like so I have a young daughter so a lot of the dragons that show up in her books they are like they're comical of some mm. sort yeah yeah they're like cowardly or whatever you know there's a stand-in for emotions a dragon has broken both of its wings oh all right okay here's another one uh the world's last dragon is the only thing old enough to remember the detail you have to uncover Ooh, i like that <laughs> you know when i think about it i mean a dragon situation if it were like a tactical situation it would be like you know the dragon is is dive bombing right towards <laughs> yes yeah yeah it'd be rain of fire <laughs> like that's a dragon situation <laughs> which i think that movie actually rules if i'm remembering correctly yeah. uh there are okay um so in the kingdom there are too many dragon slayers for the number of dragons. <laughs> Ooh, that's okay. Perfect. All right. So the, the, the D six dragon situation, which um, I assume that you will all be using in your next campaign. Um, we are, yes. Uh, the, you, the dragons... fact, you have, you have to, yes. by listening to this podcast, you are contractually yeah, legally required. Uh, dragon is, is menacing the village. Uh, too many dragon eggs. Uh, there's a dragon in disguise in the king's court. Um, there's a dragon with two broken wings. Uh, an old dragon is the only being left alive that remembers a piece of information that you need to know. Or there are too many dragon slayers for the number of dragons in the world. These are all pretty good. I'm curious what the actual dragon situations are in the Dragon Slayer board game. Did you look? I have this like, no, I didn't. I have this bad feeling that it's like the dragon is in space A9 instead of A8, you know? Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I, you know, I'm not going to look and try and find out because I want to imagine that that, that game that I un I did pass on purchasing it. It was priced mm -hmm. it was a little too rich for my taste. But, um, yeah, you know, I would like to think that there's six just amazingly different dragon related experiences that you can have when you open you lift the lid off of that box yeah 100 tiles six dragon situations it's yeah it is probably a space like where it's in different spaces or it has some sort of <laughs> right. different treasure yeah it's yeah or it's like it's a red dragon or a blue dragon you know, stuff and, like and it makes me wonder not having seen the movie is the movie is like what situation the dragon in is in is that like important <laughs> in the movie <laughs> maybe i mean it could be one of those like clue style movies where there's three different endings I, I guess so and someone yeah. comes in every 10 minutes and is like the dragon situation has changed yeah 
<laughs> yeah. It's a specific enough phrase that you really do wonder. Um, but yeah, we should we should shift to our topic at hand, which might actually be, this could be a good segue, right? Because it's, it's how do you handle big combat scenes? And if there is like in a fantasy style game, if there is a bigger combat scene than facing off with a dragon, um, I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> So, Chris, let's hear, what's the biggest combat scene you've run? And define mm-hmm. big however you want, but um, but tell us how you're defining it. Like, lots of yeah. enemies or just one really complex encounter? I think I will go with the kind of complex and lots of enemies. So, the, the one that I remember that sticks out, and I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast, was at the beginning of Horde of the Dragon Queen, um, there is a, there's like a siege happening on a city. And the, the adventuring party arrives and they have to kind of decide what to do Do from there. The game that I ran that with, the party was a higher level than what they were supposed to be for starting that adventure. So I think they were like five or six or something and was designed for level one or two. Um, so they rolled up to this the city um, that was getting attacked by like kobolds. I think mostly, <laughs> mostly kobold. And they were like vastly overpowered for this. So they just ran through and just anytime they came across 10 to 20 of these kobolds they would just wipe them out like immediately right like so it ended up being a really fun uh fun setup right so because then the the limiting factor for them was more like time rather than could they win at different mm-hmm. battles right because there was you know five or six things happening throughout the city and it was up to them to decide you know what did they want to do before they tried to take on like the you know the entire army right like you know how would they kind of sneak around and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so the way that I ran that was with more like, I don't know, like squad based tactics. I'm not sure what they're like mob, mob uh-huh. tactics. So rather than it being like each individual kobold had six hit points like that, it was just sort of like a group of them, right? Like, so you are, you're taking on 10 of them, you do a certain amount of damage and, you know, take away five, you know, five or six of them like that. Um, but that was, it was really fun. It was really snappy. Um, they could just like use their powers and just sort of walk through and, destroy things as they were going along it made them feel very heroic um like that um yeah so that that was probably the biggest combat scene that i've ever run and i'd say it was fairly successful um there was another one towards the end of it under that specific campaign that maybe wasn't as successful even Mm -hmm. though i tried to do some similar stuff but yeah that one was good yeah what about you two things spring to mind and they're kind of two different types of quote big combat encounter one many years ago when the rpg savage worlds first came out it, what, one of its big selling points was that it ran mass combat really quickly compared to other games. And so you didn't have to be afraid to have like a whole horde of zombies. It would go fast enough. It wouldn't bog down the way it would be in D&D if you had to fight through a whole bunch of zombies with like, you know, 17 hit points. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I decided to test that out. And I ran a, uh, a, ran a scenario with like a gigantic horde of like of zombies and... You know, I didn't use squad tactics because I was trying to find out if Savage Worlds really could do this, and and yeah. it, it it was and it did work okay. Um, I've run a few encounters like that in different systems where it was like just a very large number of opponents uh, milling around on the field. But the other type of big combat encounter I've run, and one that springs to mind is is like the just really complicated, demanding combat encounter. And there's one I remember, uh, I guess, appropriate for our earlier discussion was at the end of a big adventure and there was a dragon in its lair. The lair had like kind of a lake in it and the terrain was difficult and challenging. And the players knew going in 
exactly what the situation was. They knew mm. there was a black dragon down there. They had some idea of its capabilities. They understood the terrain. They That was one of those situations, you know, where everybody is scrutinizing all their spell descriptions and checking their equipment and everything like that to get every little bit of mechanical advantage they could, making a plan for, you know, you cast this on the first turn and I'll do <laughs> yeah. this move on the second one and then you follow up with your special ability, you know. And so that was a big encounter and it took like the whole night to resolve and it was it was fun and satisfying, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. So I guess we've just described big combat encounters that were pretty fun. You know, we've hit on the different ways that DMs use, some of the different ways that DMs use to tackle them, right? They're mm-hmm. fighting that dragon. It's like this minute tactical experience using every combat rule in the book. Mm-hmm. And then you describe something where it's a, much, it's a little bit more abstracted. They're going around on kind of like a squad level. What is your tipping point where you're like, I'm going to stop using the D&D or whatever rules as written here, and I'm going to like zoom out a little bit and bring in some sort of like more abstracted system mm-hmm. for this fight for me it is when when there are so many of like the the same type of enemy that it just becomes um not interesting to track each individual one yeah right so like if you have a bunch of named characters right like that that doesn't call for <laughs> call for abstracting it but like if you have a 30 kobolds Right. Like, and the idea is more that it's, it's an overwhelming number rather than, an, yeah, like an interesting group of enemies. Right. Like that's when, that's when I would zoom out. Cause it's like, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that like one-on-one you, your, your heroes would win every single time, no matter what, like even your wizard could draw a short sword and run, you know, like, and, and take out that cobalt. Yeah. So like, if you have, if you're at that level of like disparity sort of in like power level at that point, then to me, it makes sense to, yeah, like let's, let's take a step back and, and sort of do something a little bit different. One of the things I struggled with like early on in running games was that D and D and other games like it seemed kind of artificially, they, they kind of artificially limited combat to that like small scale suitable for a small party of adventures scale. Mm-hmm. And my young logical mind was always bothered by like dungeons where you would move from area to area encountering whatever stuff was in each room without yeah. the entire dungeon getting word of what was going on and coming at you with like, you know, an alliance of 40 different creatures. Um, yeah. And of course, the reason for that is because that's, that's not fun, you know, un- except maybe as a occasional like change, of, deliberate change of pace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it reminded, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, that action movie cliche where like you're facing a bunch of, you know, enemy ninjas, minions or something like that. And they... <laughs> They could swarm, if all 20 of them swarmed the action hero, it would be over. But instead, they come in and fight him at exactly the scale the hero needs them, you know, so one at a time. I don't don't have any grand point here except to say that um, kind of artificiality of of scale has always irked me. It's always irked me a little bit about the way your typical, like, dungeon-y role-playing games are set up. 
Yeah, I think that's always that's that to me has always been bothersome too. And I think to the point where whenever I'm running a dungeon, I'm I'm reminding players like you gotta be quiet, you know, <laughs> so you're gonna alert alert yeah. everybody. Like, sure you can do that, but you know, like there's other rooms and stuff. Or like just making sure there's doors between everything. But yeah, yeah it's like it's a little like silly. It's like if you are in if you were if like the room next to you right now. Like if an adventuring party broke into your house and started like attacking, I don't know, like your your pets or something like that, like you wouldn't just wait in your room until they entered, right? right. Like you'd yes. come, yeah, you'd come and like figure out like what's going on, uh, yeah, like that. I mean, maybe from the other end of the house, but even then, like I don't know, like there's just there's just lots of stuff that I think you have to not think about too hard when you play, play yeah. some of these games. Okay, like so, we both jump sort of like to D and D and like those those style of, styles of game. I'm I'm wondering like with Band of Blades and stuff, have you run big combat scenes in that? Like with Blades in the Dark, I like I know I haven't. It's always very much like a one on one sort of thing. There's there's something about like those systems that I think actively would discourage you from doing doing sort of a big gang warfare. <laughs> so yes, I have, and I'm glad you brought this up. Okay. So like larger scale combat is a feature of like a band of blades because you're a military unit and some of mm-hmm. it's expected that like half your encounters are going to be a platoon or two's worth of guys fighting an equal number of monsters and okay. i will say i again i don't i really don't like bad mouthing games because i i always assume that at least some of the fault is mine but for a game where this should be expected to happen a lot Band of Blades is incredibly hand wavy about how you handle like scaling your fight up from yeah. a couple of dudes fighting a troll to a couple of squads fighting a couple of squads of zombies. To date, I have mostly just made it up. There's like one or two pages in the rules that give some <laughs> like kind of hand wavy advice. And yeah. I don't know, maybe someone who knows the system better or who better understands how its mechanics work could probably would probably laugh at me and just point out how I'm doing it wrong. But mm-hmm. I would say Band of Blades has not solved that scalability issue especially well. Although as with any game, it's perfectly possible to use its mechanics, you know, to scale. You just have to think mm-hmm. on the fly to do it. Okay. So like you just went to Gettysburg, right? Like so yes. when you think about like military battles. I'm not a military historian like at all. Like it's just that's just not not how my brain works, but my understanding is, right, like, you can look at them at different levels, right? Like, you can look at a military battle at, like, vastly different levels. Like, you can just look at the, like, hey, who won, total up the number of, like, you know, people lost on either side. Mm-hmm. You can zoom into specific, like, skirmishes that were happening, you know, during that battle. Like, you could probably even get down to, like, a what did one individual do um, during that battle as well. It's all the same same thing, right? Like, this is, I think this is, like, what dunkirk right that movie like plays with this mm-hmm. exact thing yeah so like when you're thinking about like gettysburg and i know you, like, you shared just some specific stories about stuff that's happened that like i didn't learn about in school like and it's really fascinating to hear about these like individual things um that were happening and i'm wondering if like when we're thinking about big combat scenes like why can't you kind of zoom in and out and, <laughs> and have <laughs> yeah. have sort of all those things happening and like is that should that even be a function of a game to like be able to tell tell that story of a combat scene at those different levels? Um, or is it just like you are you're just stuck with like, you know, look like you're an adventuring party. So we are going to tell the story of you going through that battle, not the high level. 
It's a good question. And, you know, I think D&D-ish games proceed on the assumption that that what your characters are doing is the most interesting and most influential (laughs) and pivotal part of the battle, right? I think D&D would generally say you don't really want to scale out beyond the level where you are role-playing your your individual characters' reactions and experiences in the fight, right? Because that's that's probably what drew you to D anD D in the first place was the chance to you know role play a person, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doing these exciting things that you can't do in real life. So I think you know with a lot of games, there's a risk that when you kind of zoom out, you lose that connection that everybody has to their character. They, you know, you lose your your set of eyes on the actual ground, and that's got to be at least one of the reasons that uh, certainly there have been attempts over the years to add kind of a like a operational level battle system to D anD D. But I, mm-hmm. you know, those aren't successful or popular as far as I can tell. I think role playing games are just biased towards whatever else is going on. You guys are the are the star of the show, and that's why you. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how other GMs run it, but you know, when I run a big battle, you know, if the PCs are fighting in like a giant Gettysburg-sized battle with tons of people, my instinct is to have you know the momentum of the battle be somewhat flavored by or even determined by how the PCs are doing in their very individual skirmish on the hill with those goblins. Yeah, that that makes total sense. That that's exactly what I've done. It is making me wonder as we're talking about it, like how fascinating it would be if like the tide of the battle was opposite to how the the party was doing. Yeah, you know, like if yeah, if it was just like everything is is getting worse, even though it looks like you're doing great right here, right? Like so, they the party puts their head up after they feel like they've just killed the mini boss and stuff, and then they look around and it's like, oh, like we you know, we biffed it. Like this, this is going terribly. Or even on the other hand, like what if there is something else interesting happening? Like what if, you know, like they're fighting and then off in the distance, they see like a fireball come out of nowhere. Turns out there's another party. that's like, it's also, also fighting this. Like you're not the only magic users and stuff. Yeah. So I mean like there's, there's some opportunities there, but yeah, I don't know. Like it's hard to take them too. I don't know if you should. One of the other challenges, I think, and again, talking D and D, but of course apply this to other genres yeah, and styles as you will. D&D invests a lot of its design energy in figuring out how all of its powers and stuff like work on immediate punching range like scale. And it works well and it's been honed to do that really well. What would a battle in which you might have like a whole company of spell casting elf wizards or something like that. I mean, it would get weird and crazy and Mm -hmm. it would require as much design love and attention to make that work well and be balanced and be interesting that's a lot of energy to make that work as well as the tech as the real tactical focus does and so i don't know another reason i think that people are inclined to just abstract out that that bigger stuff so drawing on my visit to gettysburg you know you do lose something of the unique character of a battle when you are zoomed all the way into that level of like just fighting over a few square, a few dozen square feet of ground. You know, um, a battle like Gettysburg was all about understanding the terrain and which places needed to be held or the whole battle would, would be over before it started. You know, when you're just playing on one small battle map's worth of terrain, you do, you know, you miss some of that, like, slightly more strategic picture that brings character to a battle like Gettysburg, which 
is defined by those like strategic level features like little round top and uh mm-hmm. you know the different ridges and things like that which th- that makes sense it's like because uh, well yeah like it doesn't make sense right like war is awful and like just thinking about the human human aspect of gettysburg like kind of like breaks breaks my brain a little bit yes. but like the like thinking about it right like the the actions that people are taking in real world battle are uh, more finite than they might be in like D, right like so you might have like 10 spells and a couple different cool weapons and stuff and everything's like all varied and interesting and stuff like that versus like just keep reloading your musket right like and, yeah and try to walk forward as much as you can like that's that's a very different like set set of abilities to give give players and i think if you were to yeah so like as soon as you give them the ability to like oh also you have spells and stuff then it's like okay well that's fascinating like let's like play with those and what you find also you know again thinking gettysburg because i was just there like you said the skills that win you a battle a battle battle are different than the skills that win a knife fight with kobolds. You know, the skills required to be victorious at a battle like Gettysburg or fill in any other battle were the ability to keep moving when you're exhausted, the ability to like keep your morale just high enough that you're willing to follow orders, the ability to just do what you're told, you know, without question, just debate the ability to endure through a terrifying and exhausting and dehumanizing experience you know in the battle of gettysburg i mean i guess did it help if you were like a crack shot with your rifle yes but you know we (laughs) don't nobody was up there like sniping like crazy and winning the battle of gettysburg with their uh, with their plus 15 you know (laughs) shooting skill you know yeah um people won the battle of gettysburg by like sticking it out and not running away and yeah. that's a different type of skill than D&D and its cousins are interested, you know, and that's, it's, it's a more depressing, it's a depressing type of skill. <laughs> skill. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's inspiring in its ways, but it's also depressing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the power fantasy at the heart of, heart of these games is like that one person can matter. Exactly. Yeah. But you yeah. know, Gettysburg, all 25 of you and your, your, your platoon mates or whatever matter, but like one of you did not matter that much um yeah so going back to like going back to the the other concept of big combat scenes right i want to touch on that a little bit before before we wrap up right so we've talked a lot about like yeah how do you do like a, a massive battle with a lot of people so you had mentioned um like a somewhat complicated like fight with a dragon where there's a lot of preparation stuff beforehand and I think like that's that's probably where D and it's it's ilk are are a little bit better suited yeah to do because like that's that's the sort of simulation that it wants to do you know like you just mentioning that reminded me like of one of my favorite favorite encounters that i've run just was with a dragon and like they were a little bit too low of a level to be facing facing off with a dragon of of any sort and i even think it was like a young young green dragon it was just really fun to play this this scene where the party was so outclassed unless they were being savvy about it you know, like mm. it was very different from we've entered a room there's some sort of new monster we know we have to kill it like it was like we're gonna have to talk to this thing we're gonna have to reason with it it's smart it's savvy it could kill us at any moment you know like all sorts of these these other things were going into it that were were different from from other stuff i'm, I'm wondering like when you're running a campaign do you try to intentionally put those combat scenes in 
or do you let them emerge as the players are are coming up with ideas and plans yeah that's kind of interesting i don't know if this is gonna this is not going to answer your question exactly but uh, we've talked a lot about the negatives of lots of combat in D and D. I mean, every other episode we probably gripe about this, but yeah, most likely, yeah. But you know, the combat to me, the combats that are rewarding are the ones that that require the players to master the the game system to wrest victory from a, an overwhelming situation. You know, you described a battle where the players are kind of the underdogs, and I think there's a real joy in D anD. d in a combat encounter where you have to like scour the the details of your spells and your feats and your special abilities to use every advantage you have to beat the game at its own rules you know Mm -hmm. i think that is exciting i think you are right when you say that at its best like D D combat really shines when you have players that are super engaged with the rules of combat and are using the game's systems in exactly the way they're intended i think you and i both probably like don't often run games like that i don't know about you you know i'm pretty loosey-goosey when it comes to like combat rules you know because there's real downsides to to saying okay everyone we we're going to do this by the book and i expect all of you to be uh well versed in all every rule on your character sheet there's some real downsides to that and so there is this uh, system that me and a lot of dms i've played under you know you just are a little hand wavy on the combat and the details of it. And Mm -hmm. that works well, I think. And that's why people do it. But sometimes it is nice to say, okay, for this one, you guys are going to have to like bring out every, every rule advantage you can find. Yeah. I'm thinking about a game that you and I both played in um, like a month or two ago with uh, Tim Saucer, who's been uh, a guest on, on the, yeah, it was the, he, ran a really lovely game in the cypher system but the last the last big combat in it i kind of like keep thinking about and going back to and it was just this fascinating like we had been playing for quite a bit that day and it it just felt like we all sort of figured out like what our characters could do in that combat i know exactly i would say like more yeah more so than before and it was it was really cool like he's he mentioned it too like it was a neat moment for him to see see like how we we came together and specifically one player um aaron who's also been on the podcast like he he like just used everything at his disposal to change change what was happening in that battle like he just like he went through went through all of it expended all of his resources well most of them (laughs) right to get to get the result he wanted it was just it was really cool to see yeah see a group latch on to the rule set that much and even like in character too, like making all these decisions using everything that we had available to us Um, because we sort of like also knew that it was the end (laughs) end of it um, end of the campaign at that point too so there's no no sense in in holding back but yeah it was it was really fun and that's something that kind of can't happen if you hand wave stuff all the time like you never get that opportunity to really be like you know what like no like we're going to use everything here like and you know gm sit down like we're going to you know we're going to ruin your plans or you know like you know not ruin your plans but like we're going to make this this specific thing happen so you know to tim's credit right like he he let it happen even if it might not have been exactly how he wanted it to go yeah and i know there was even things within that you know there's like some player friction and like all sorts of just cool stuff like happened at the table yeah, yeah it, it doesn't happen unless you set up that big combat and it doesn't happen unless you allow people to interact with with the game systems um in the way that they need to to let it happen 
a lot of these fights we've described are the fights that happen at like the end of the campaign, right? All the mm-hmm. ones I've described so far in this podcast have been the final culminating fight of the game. I think it's not a coincidence that we're not talking about skirmish with orcs in room 14 of the dungeon. We're talking about, <laughs> yeah. you know, the final showdown. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think there's something special and D&D really shines when uh, you can use all of those tools on your character sheet and in the rules and you can pull out all the stops like that battle you just described. One of the reasons, one of the things that was so fun about it was, you know, in watching Aaron, he would, you know, he spent, like you say, pretty much everything that his character could do. He he expended it because we all understood this was this was it. This is the big mm-hmm. battle. There wasn't there was no point in saving anything. And I I think that D&D-ish games, you know, have this very familiar structure of um, lots of not very important combats and encounters that are designed to, like, whittle down your resources and tempt you to waste resources that you really should be saving. And that is a neat, you know, that is a good system. It works. And it's it's like, some, you know, has this at least mild plausibility to it. But sometimes it is kind of a shame. Like, why isn't every combat just like a knockout like just throw everything you got at this thing because the bad guys are doing the same you know maybe that would be too much but we do complain on this podcast a lot about combat being boring you know is one of the reasons that like players are incentivized to try and eke through combats with like the minimum possible expenditure of abilities items and spells yeah 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 they're rewarded for not for, for not doing that so yeah well, um yeah no i think that's a that's a fascinating point we should we should wrap it up but like yeah i mean you know it's of course making me think as it always does like well you know why not figure out a way to run D where you can use your cool stuff every time <laughs> yeah um yeah just like okay you will be getting a long rest after every single combat so do do what you want right um, exactly like that yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> listeners yes you've just heard us relentlessly complain about how long D combats are and then basically say that every combat should be like a three-hour final showdown uh, so <laughs> yes we, yeah no matter. we live in the tension of that contradiction <laughs> yes no matter. all right well this was a uh, really good yeah uh it was fun actually getting back to doing doing something on the table um although we're of course like probably immediately not do something on the table but we'll we'll see we'll see what comes uh next time we record um yeah andy do you have any other sort of parting shots on on running big combat no, I don't think so. I think we've, uh, mm-hmm. you know, covered everything, everything okay. anyone would ever possibly want to hear me say about Bitcoin. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, uh, someone out there is doing it right, and they're yelling at their podcast player <laughs> at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> Why don't you just, you know? And we we actually live for that. So if you if you have any good ideas about how to run big combat, of course, let us know. Yeah, our email addresses are published on the internet, which is maybe not a great idea, but they're there. If you want to find them, <laughs> please reach out. Um, yeah, and we we do just love hearing from people in general. I know it always brings a, a smile to my face when someone mentions like, oh, hey, you know, I was listening to your podcast. And it's like, oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Because um, we do do it to be listened to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, good conversation. And uh, it is fun to get back to the table topics. I imagine we have some more experimental stuff you know, coming up, but this was mm-hmm. actually kind of a fun reminder for me that, uh, yeah, it's sometimes fun to roll on that table and just talk about what it forces us to discuss. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, I have been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Brow.
And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.